for April 1st, 2021. It's the Lullabot Podcast. It's the Lullabot Podcast, episode 252. I'm Matt Cleave, a senior developer at Lullabot. With me, as always, co-host of the show, senior front-end dev, Mike Herschel. Hey, Mike. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. We're going to do this thing again. It's been a while. Uh, it's been too long. Let's get the band back together. Good idea. Google tells me there are millions of Drupal websites on the internet, and we at Lullabot know about a few of them. We do. Yep, and Google also tells me that Drupal 9 was released on June 3rd of 2020. Sounds about right. I'm going to guess that all of those millions of websites are running Drupal 9 and like the latest, greatest hotness of Drupal bleeding edge code. I would uh, maybe step back from that one, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're in a state where there are Drupal 7 sites that exist, there are Drupal 8 yeah. sites that exist, there are Drupal 9 sites that exist, and they're all different in their own special way, and mm-hmm. they're all actually technically supported and up-to-date at this time, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do we handle this with uh, so many different versions? We have some friends in Lullabot that uh, do that for us now. We've got people for that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We do. On, on on the podcast today, we have our Lullabot's Director of Support and Maintenance coming to us from Philadelphia, David Burns. Hey, Dave. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very glad to uh, be on the podcast with you all today. Oh, thanks for being on. Also with us is our Support and Maintenance Project Manager, Kathy Thays, coming from somewhere Virginia, Washington, Washington D.C.-ish, right? Yeah, I like to keep it vague. <laughs> you're, you're a little bit of everywhere. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing super. I'm really happy to be talking about maintaining Drupal sites. It's an important topic. It is an important yeah. topic. A lot of times, everybody talks about people implementing the latest, greatest, the the new APIs, the, the best way of building new things with all of the coolest new tools. But at some point... All of that new stuff gets put into use, and not everybody is, you know, undergoing a huge website build all the time. And that's why the Lullabot support and maintenance team exists, right? How, how long have uh, you been doing that? So officially, uh, Lullabot support maintenance, I looked at the uh, existing SOWs, began uh, January 1st of 2019. So really only two years ago. And what kinds of things do you do? Uh, well, before we get into that, uh, I'll just give a little more background than just the start date. So the, the reason that we got into support and maintenance um, is because we had a few people that were working on projects and um, Lullabot tries to have one developer on a project for full time. Like that's the only thing you work on and it could be for three months, six months, however long it takes to build that project. For example, Mike is a front end developer and Mike, you're on one project, right? You're you're full time yep. committed to the build out of this one project. I'm on a Absolutely. project, I'm full time committed to this build out of this one project. But that's harder when you were trying to do support, right? That's what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah, it's much harder. And that, that's kind of like uh, why the department came into existence. So we started getting inquiries um, that like, hey, let's 
have you work on this site that you've already built. Stick around, hang out with us and, you know, fix bugs and implement new features. And we started taking on some of that work, but it wasn't officially under like a specific department. Um, and I was brought in to assist the people that were doing that type of work at the time. And it, it was working well. So um, Seth and Matt and uh, people from the leadership team reached out was like, hey, there's, there's a need for this in Drupal and there's other Drupal shops doing this. So let's commit to doing it. Um, and that officially gave the Lullabot support and maintenance brand. So it, can you talk a little bit about the mindset that might be a little bit different to somebody who's doing maintenance on a Drupal site? I think one of the things that we think about is like the scope of the request from the customers. And so we're like, is this a maintenance type task? Is this a security update? Is this a regular kind of update? Is this a bug fix? Is this a feature request? How big is the feature request? What exactly are they asking for? And so I think like the overall mindset is, is always like wanting to do the little maintenance tasks to keep things running smoothly and nicely, but keeping your eye out for requests that are more than they seem to be. And that never that, happens with web development, does it? Never. <laughs> a lot of times people talk about the, the metaphor of building um, a Drupal site with Lego, right? You have a bunch of Lego blocks and you're, you're building this huge house or something. And I think a lot of times when you're maintaining a site or working with a, an active site long-term, swapping out that one blue block might be a little bit difficult too because of all of the other things that it's resting on, it would seem, right? Yeah, yeah, you need, need to be careful. We have a lot of tools that we use to like catch unintended changes and uh, helping our customers utilize those tools and bring those into the project is something that we do that might be like a big project, um, but its goal is to increase automation to make maintenance easier. So... So, yeah, so we do some automation to help catch unintended consequences. Yeah, well, like, let's kind of jump into uh, this is one of the questions that I that I had for you right here is, you know, like you have updates, you have dependencies, you have imports, like, like what type of automation, what types of things can you automate? When does it go wrong? What type of things are still manual? So one of the things that um, is challenging about support is the, the context switching, the amount of context switching we do, right? Which is kind of why developers who are on full-time projects like Mike and I don't end up changing projects. That's something that Lullabot has kind of carved out and saying, context switching is hard. It's best if our people can, can stick to one thing, um, but that's not what you get to do, is it? Not no, exactly. we get to specialize in context switching. Well, that's, oh, that's like fair. That's fair. And that's that's an important <laughs> skill. I like that. Um, so one of the things that we do to help reduce or streamline context switching is um, we standardize on stuff, right? So there's DDEV um, that allows you to have like a config file and you run a command and it spins up a local site. Um, it sits in DDEV front of Docker, right? DDEV? 
Yeah, DDEV's built on top of Docker. So that's one system. But we've we started using Lando way early on. Like Which is the, the same first. idea, right? I've used both in consecutive projects and I couldn't tell you the difference other than I used a different command to do stuff. That that's basically under under the covers, under um you know, the, the code that's running, it, it's all Docker based. Okay. Um, it's all the, the different layers that get added on top of it and the command you could use and like the, the pre hooks that exist that let you do more advanced things. Right. So as a department, we've, we decided we're going to use Lando and what we've done, mm-hmm. we, we started out with like lullabot.com, which is our own site where we get to like explore and test and, and figure out like, which Lullabot, um, Lullabot hires you as a as a maintainer for Lullabot.com, don't don't we? Um, I'm not sure if hire is the right word. It's like <laughs> you, you do maintenance and we're sending you a paycheck. So take care of this thing that our whole company cares about. Well, and we do. I'm yeah. totally on board with that. Okay. Okay. That's good. Sorry, yeah, Gabe. but it's a great guinea pig, though. Okay. And we can we we're really empowered to try out things and it's a very like safe environment for us because we know that if we impact the customer we're impacting us and we'll fix it right away so it works out really well to let us uh like test run things that we might want to maybe future standardize and support we can try it out on lullabot.com first so you were talking about putting you're putting everything into lando so if so if you're starting with a new client um and do, do you end up then putting all of their stuff into a container in, into a ddev and or i'm sorry lando and going from there is yeah, that I kind mean, of step one for you because you need to kind of specialize your process so some of the projects come to us already having these type of tools implemented, right? Um, some of them may be using um, virt- virtual desktop, uh, the VM system, right? Virtual box, sorry. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll take a look at that and be like, is there enough reason to stick with doing that? And what is the time it takes to just swap in all the fancy good stuff that we know works well with Lando? And I would say nine times out of 10, we, we wind up integrating Lando. Um, we do some really neat stuff that when you do the start, um, it'll go ahead and fetch like the latest database and not import it, but give you a command in the output and says, just paste this and you'll get a fresh copy of the site running locally. Um, we, we do fun stuff for some clients where we actually compile themes when we run Lando start. Um, we were noticing that some of the clients were coming to us and be like, hey, this page looks different than the live site. Why is that? And we would get up and um, say, hey, remember to build the theme. So when you start repeating things over and over again, you're just like, let's let's script this. Let's let's, you know, have somebody fresh to the project, be able to come in, run one command and basically have the whole site running. And that's yeah. what Lando has been able to provide for us. Yeah, it's a really good investment that, that we will look at. Because sometimes, like Dave said, we'll keep what automation the customer already has. But if it's compelling, or if they don't have one, and we set up Lando, that investment really pays off later because we have you know, people switching projects even if they stay on that project, they're still going to be switching in and out of it because they're switching between like three projects. Yeah, it's not uncommon for me to have a day where I'm running Lando Start on four different sites. <laughs> I'm going to guess you need a decent-sized hard drive for all that. Yes. Um, <laughs> we have some massive projects. Uh, Georgia.gov, GovHub is one of them. 
which was a lullabot project that we've then kind of passed off into the support world, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's how we get a fair amount of uh, the work within support. I think over 70% is passed over from client services. Um, but we were noticing that when we were onboarding new people to the Georgia, uh, the GovHub platform, um, we'd have to bump the default Docker setting from like 80 gigabytes of space up to like 120 gig, uh, just because how wow. massive the platform is, how many databases it's um, pulling in. And that's not a that's not a Docker issue. That's just the the website is huge, right? It's a big multi-site website, and yeah, there's just a lot going on there. Exactly. So, um, outside of like local environments, are, is there any ty- is there any other um, automation and or standardization that you can do across your multi- across the different projects? That's actually been a, a big push as of like the last quarter of last year and uh, a major focus of this year. Um, yep. We've we've have a lot of clients that are on um, Pantheon, but we also work with some that are on Acquia, some that are self-hosted. Um, and the thing that allows us to context switch quicker, reduce the amount of errors is to, um, after your committee code locally and pushing up, to be able to build environments and, and see the work that, you know, a developer is doing and a, a lullabot built tool called Tugboat QA is like perfect for that. Um, and that integrates with like GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, even privately hosted repos. Tugboat.qa is the website. And we've done a previous podcast with the Tugboat folks, Mike. Yeah, yeah. And but, yeah. what's great about Tugboat, it has integrated, um, you know, the Lighthouse integration for Google mm-hmm. that gives you SEO scores, performance scores, um, accessibility scores, um, at a very general level. Um, you still want experts to go in and, and do the fine detail stuff. But uh, we're able to look at that. We're able to look at the visual diffs that, yeah. that mm-hmm. come with Tugboat. We provide like one of each content type, the major landing pages. Um, we have an, even have a workaround that allows it to screenshot and do visual diffs on Node, paid, um, Node Add, Node Edit, Entity Pages, stuff like that. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Can you explain just for our listeners what a visual diff is really quick? Sure. Um, so we, we have this concept of base previews. Basically, what does your live site look like right now? And then you make some code changes, you commit it to get Tugboat spins up an environment. And then Tugboat goes, hey, let me take a screenshot of this, this new PR that you've been working on. And I'm going to overlay it with a screenshot of that base preview. And it's going to do a pixel by pixel check looking for any variations. And Tugboat's able to say, this page is like 98% perfect. And sometimes these slight variations are like a different image showed up or you know something shifted. Like anything above 90, I wouldn't be too, too concerned about. Um, but once we start seeing numbers in the 80s and 70s, we're like, hold on, we definitely don't want to merge this in in its current state. Let's take a closer look at that specific page and figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's yeah. really useful. As, as, as you know, Mike, and, and I'm sure Dave and Kathy, CSS cascades and a small change here might affect <laughs> elsewhere, right? CSS. And so a visual, a visual diff, diff would uh, super be handy to to do that. And that was kind of what I was thinking about. Like, I know that a lot of times when I, I come on to a new project, even if it's, you know, not a, a support one or it's an, ex, you know, have an, they have an existing website, I get a ticket to change something and then I start working on it and I'm like, 
I hope I'm not breaking the rest of the website with this change, but I think yes. I'm doing the right thing. You know, it's it's there's always that yep. hesitation, I guess. And so having these tools set up, I'm sure help out a bunch and not just you on the support and maintenance team, but uh, the client as well, who can kind of leverage that too, right? Yeah, I mean, we could send them a, a tugboat link for that PR environment. They could click around as if it was the the live environment. They could add content, remove content, uh, anything they want to do and um, give the thumbs up. Hey, this is ready to go. And then what's really neat is once they click the, hey, this is ready to go, um, usually a lot of tickets would stack up in the course of a sprint or a couple of weeks and they tag a release and deploy it. Um, we're starting to look at like the GitHub Actions tool that basically says, once you merge this into whatever your main branch is, um, we're going to see GitHub or whatever, send off a webhook and be like, this is okay and approved. And we're just going to push that out to the dev environment. So we always have an environment that's, you know, the, the latest and greatest code. Yeah. And usually on that dev environment is usually then like on the customer's hosting infrastructure, like not on Tugboat. Mm -hmm. So that moves like goes through tugboat and then moves into something that's closer to what will actually be uh deployed with the live site yeah does hosting matter are you hosting ag agnostic or do you want, I mean, want we, to support these two things yeah which you know reduce context switching um and um it, it it's good when we have a lot of people or clients using the same hosting. Um, but right now we, we are okay and we accept, you know, any enterprise level hosting or anybody that's doing um, custom hosting. Sure. So um, if I'm using FTP, you won't nope. support me. <laughs> nope. We need version control. That's where we're at these days. F FTP on a GoDaddy. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I just want to yeah. be real clear. Like um, our primary purpose within support maintenance is not to be, system architects. Um, mm -mm. We we take care of the Drupal side, the application side. We will happily reach out to the support team um, of those hosting providers if there's like performance issues that are not caused by the application and um, coordinate a, a fix with them um, if the client, if the support client doesn't feel comfortable doing those things. Yeah. So we work with all these different hosting companies, you know, a lot of the common Drupal ones and custom things that customers have, but that gives us a wide like experience set. And so when a customer can, one of our customers can say, Hey, I'm seeing this weird issue. We go through like the catalog of all the other customers that we've had and the ones on all these things. And, and we can quite often be familiar with that host and maybe that specific issue because we've worked with the host and on a different customer earlier. And so we can really help out, like smooth some of that over and like make those resolutions come quicker for our customers. Makes sense. So uh, Dave, you mentioned like automating things with uh, GitHub Actions and 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 tools like that. Um, on the on the Lullabot.com repo, I see all these notifications come in for Dependabot to the point where I actually set up like a little filter so I don't have to uh, look at those. Can you talk about like maybe like your dependency automation and, and maybe other things that you might be doing? Yeah, so a lot of our support clients um, have limited hours that are available to us within the month. And early on, we noticed that, you know, somebody that's with 30 hours a month, a majority of our time would be spent 
writing, you know, a composer update for a specific module, going in, testing that change and, and things like that. Uh, and then I heard about violinist IO through Twitter and I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. One pull request per module update. I don't know anything about it. Dave. Can you on. explain that to me? Violinist, sorry, violinist.io. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. So all, all it really does is look at your composer JSON file and it runs like a composer update drive run, looks for anything um, that is out of date or there's an update available. Um, it also has some options around like, do you only want to create a pull request for modules that have security updates as opposed to minor point releases? Um, and when it sees one of those, it'll go ahead and create a pull request for that. And included in that pull request is like some of the change logs, if the module maintainer has been good about that. And it'll print it right in like um, a comment or the description of the, the pull request um, and be like, here's, here's all the commits and um, with all the things that we have layered on top in tugboat we automatically get you know the visual visual diffs the um lighthouse scores and everything um and then we're also experimenting with like automated tests so if everything passes after dependabot or violinist.io creates that pull request we're feeling pretty confident this is safe to merge in we'll go in and look at like the config sync page to make sure there's no overwritten config. Um, we'll click around on the places we know that that module interacts with the site to just give us a lot more confidence. Um, but in setting up tools like Violinus and Dependabot, we found that like what used to take maybe 30 hours a month for our team to work on, we're really only spending five. That frees up 25 hours to like get to know the client, the project, the things that they're struggling with, with, with um, you know, their editorial system, or let's start talking about bugs or small feature enhancements. So we're, we're providing a lot more service by layering in these automated tools. Those sound like really great tools for you, but they sound like really good tools for anybody who runs a Drupal site. Definitely recommend going and checking them out, see if they're a fit for your organization or your own personal sites. We're adding the link for violinist.io to the show notes. We're talking to David Burns and Kathy Thays of the Lullabot and Support and Maintenance team. After this, we'll talk a little bit more about things that they find when they dig into Drupal. Coming up right after this. Welcome back. We're talking to the crew from Lullabot Support and Maintenance Department. Um, so as... All Drupal developers know there's there's a million ways to do anything in Drupal. Is there anything that like really, really stands out where you looked at something and you're just like, oh, no. And you're, you're like, <laughs> oh, I should charge these guys double or something like that. <laughs> what have they done? I know. <laughs> Any SQL queries in the template files or anything like that that you've seen that you can think of? You don't have to name names. Can you still do that in Drupal 8? And not in Drupal 8, but oh, okay. you, can in, uh, you can in Drupal 7. I'm doing all kinds of awesome JavaScript right now in a Twig file. <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't admit to that. <laughs> I only say that to make the front ender's blood pressure go up. But, mm -hmm. but Dave and Kathy, I can see by your thousand yard stairs that everybody's website is a little bit different. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, usually things are a little different customer to customer. 
but it's more interesting than shocking. Yeah. And, uh, and so it might be like, I think we approach it as like an opportunity to figure out how, how does it work and why did they pick it this way? Because we need to know that in order for us to have confidence that when we change it, right, we're changing it in the way we intend. Yeah. And so like quite often we'll see things that we don't understand and we'll just be like, what is this? But then we talk to our coworkers and we talk to people in support and we talk to people in client services. And sometimes I talk to Drupal people in Drupal.org Slack about things. And I'm just like, hey, I'm working on this thing and I don't know anything about it. Can you help me please figure it out? The hive mind is pretty great working within Lullabot. Um, and, and uh, you know, of course, being a part of the Drupal community, there's always that place you could reach out to, and that's cool. Yeah, totally. I, I would think that, uh, you know, one of the things I say is, like, we live in a world of riches when it comes to support maintenance. We are given these projects that client services team has worked on, built from the ground up. And we see things like in a Lando file or the way they're compiling things. Um, and we're just like, this is totally useful. We're going to mark this down and try to reuse it as much as possible. Again, working towards standardization to reduce context switching. Um, so that's that's been really, really helpful. And we'll even wind up in situations in support where they need somebody that had built the original site um, to do a specific larger task that's kind of outside of the scope of support maintenance. So working directly with Lullabot, we're able to say, hey, come in on this same support SOW and address this feature. It, it doesn't happen as often as I'd like, um, but when it does happen, it's so great to be able to like see the cross um, sharing of, of people um, between both, both teams. Yeah, I remember I came in and I did a, a small, what was it, like a one-week project where like like my the goal was just to make this navigation uh menu uh for like an edu accessible you know it was one of those situations where like drop downs were not keyboard accessible and so i'm like all right i could do this and uh and and it was it was fun because i was like kind of doing stuff like that and i got a I i got to work in within like two days and i was like well i could do these other things too and they were like yeah and and that was that was a lot of fun these yeah, that's, these quick ahead, hit, these quick contracts aren't necessarily normal, but it's kind of fun when it works out, Mike. Right? You've got some availability. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was in I was in between client projects. Okay. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we've been yeah. reaching out frequently for like accessibility audits, mm -hmm. um, which has been really insightful. Uh, definitely something wanting to learn more about. And we, menus keep coming up all the time. Menus and accessibility are like the number one thing um, that we're having to reach out to, to get some yep. super duper experts outside of support maintenance to help out with. Sidebar, Mike, we've yeah. got a bunch of new accessibility experts. It seems to be there's been a really strong resurgence inside of Lullabot. And I know we've done a ton of podcasts about it, but we should think about doing that again. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. I, I actually know who I want to invite. I'm not going to announce this person right now. It's a secret. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm but I am friends with them. Well, they wouldn't call me a friend, but I would call them a friend. <laughs> like you got so many friends. They would they would be like, stay away. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to think, you know, like what unusual things do we see in support? And the other thing that I thought of was like 
I see a lot of interesting things because some of the sites that we work on have been around for a very long time. Uh, so it could be like eight years, 10 years. Do you I take don't know how long, is, how long has Drupal 7 been around, right? It's just been ages. And yeah. so, uh, you know, like I can see kind of like the timeline of the way the popular things have changed in, uh, in Drupal because on on one site, you know, it might be like compiling SAS and like be using Compass. And on another site, it's like pure CSS. And I can kind of see different stages of things. And so we do see a lot of like wild differences, but they made sense for that project at the time under mm -hmm. the constraints that they were on, right? So like they were just doing the best they could, you know, whenever they had the development budget and they were working on the site, and they were like, well, we need to do this quick or we need to do this rigorous, like whatever their constraint was, they did the best they could. And then, you know, their site's been around for ages and ages and it needs maintenance and they come to us and we're just like, we understand. <laughs> I, I like your attitude. It's it's kind of the way that I've I've brought I've come around to that in the last few years, too. It's it's the not what the hell was this person thinking, but what caused this person to think that that way? Because. Yep. There was something going on at that time and this was the right way. You kind of give them a little more grace, right? It's <laughs> like the person before me they they it, were it in all, a, they were in a situation and that it might all have boils down to now, a but, yeah. time and cost, right? We'll we'll see projects and we'll be talking with the customer and they're like, you know, this this thing we built 2, 3, 4 years ago is just like so troublesome. And just just and talk to them, and it was a temporary solution two or three years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things we'll come do is initially is an audit and make sure the site's using best practices. Make sure you know modules are in the right places. Make sure there's like a patch make file for D um, seven. Um, yeah. Make sure you're using Composer for D eight. Uh, mm -hmm. And just get us to a baseline that we know when we bring anybody else into the project, um, they're they're seeing less and less of the surprises. Uh, so that that you know is part of the standardization and cleanup thing we're focus, focusing on. Um, and and sometimes the the challenge there is we want to do these things that provide everybody a better quality of life, um, but the client is wanting you know these many features to be focused on. So it's a constant like balancing act of um, we, we're going to deliver the thing that obviously you're paying for our services, um, but we also need to take care of these things to to make you know everybody's life easier, not just the Lullabot team. Yeah. You were talking about how long it's been since Drupal 7 came out. But Dave, I know you and I have both have built Drupal 6 websites for Lullabot. So, yeah. There are no Drupal 6 sites right now that I could think of in support maintenance. And okay. thank goodness for that, because that's one. Would you take a Drupal 6 site? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> you know, 6 to 7 is a whole lot quicker migration than 7 to 8. But I know that a lot of people are wanting to go 6 to 8. So... Yeah, I, I think or nine, nine, I guess, at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be hard for us to to flat out say no. We wouldn't accept something of some point. Um, we're always going to try to do an audit before we say yes. Um, yeah. And if we're feeling good and we're on the same page with the direction that um, the site owners want to go, like, hey, it's on Drupal six now, but within a year we plan to migrate to Drupal eight, Drupal nine. 
um, those things are taken into consideration. Yeah, that makes sense. After that conversation, yeah. if it's something that you don't feel comfortable undertaking, do you have friends or enemies you refer them to? or? So there are companies that like were approved or like advertised Drupal 6 uh, long-term support vendors. They're called something slightly different. Okay. And, and yeah, if, you know, we might refer to a, a friendly competitor. Sure. Yeah. Because there are some people who do, who do, like, they did that. They're good at that. Yeah. And they still do that. Like, they still, like, they should keep doing that. They're great at it. But it's like, it's different. I would think that newer versions of PHP would start to become the issue with running those older versions of Drupal, right? Because you find a, a new host right now, they're going to run PHP 7 point something and Drupal 6 might laugh at that. And and that's one of the things we look for. Like, where is this site hosted? Um, chances are Drupal 6 might be using SVN instead of Git. So, sure. you know, I, I don't think we would want to add the overhead of having to have every person on our team remember all the SVN commands. It, it, that wasn't that long ago, Dave. You and I have been on a Lullabot project together that used F- SVN. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's something that is is kind of in recent history, if we want to call it that. But shoot, that's been like I wouldn't nine call that years, recent. Nine, yeah, not not years. It's been long for. A while. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is yeah. is Drupal in your recent history, Mike? Like, or it depends on, I guess, your perspective. But Kathy, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to go back to the Drupal six question. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think we would raise our eyebrows. Yeah. At at that, but we do have Drupal seven customers. And uh, and we are an official approved Drupal 7 extended support vendor. More to come on that later, right? Yes. Well, the, the, the end of life for Drupal 7 is in November of 22. So we've got a little bit left that you can still use Drupal 7 and feel mostly okay with it. Um, Drupal 8's end of life is 2021 though, right? This year in November. So Yeah, so... The, the reason for that is like the version of Symphony that is shipped with Drupal 8 is going to go end of life, right? And that, that Symphony is not in Drupal 7. So we, we have to kind of follow where Symphony is going. Okay. Um, I do think it's weird that a newer version of Drupal is not being supported as long as an older one. Um, but I understand how they got to that reasoning. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and also it's a lot upgrade. easier. Yeah, it, it's a lot easier to migrate from Drupal 8 to Drupal 9. Kind of like and I was talking about six to seven. I think eight to nine is probably about the same as six to seven was, but I would say easier than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot it depends on what your easier. custom code is, right? If you were using, yeah. if you were doing bad things in your custom code in Drupal eight, then it's going to be harder, right? I think six to seven, there was a bit more schema changes. Um, and I remember we didn't were to renderables the get ex- get a, get became a bigger deal at that point, or am I wrong? Hmm? I thought there was something in the theme layer that became trickier between six and seven but it's been it's a while so long ago <laughs> yeah we should do a podcast on that matt okay <laughs> the six to seven upgrade <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there's um, actually probably one out there right i know like right? the, the old jeff robbins matt westgate podcasts mm-hmm. of 10 years ago yeah so yeah. it's not that so i know we're laughing but I'm trying to think in my head, like, would that ever be a thing somebody would want to do? Migrate from Drupal 6 to Drupal 7. 
And the only reason I can think that somebody would want to do that is, is maybe if they wanted to migrate to Backdrop. Because Backdrop is kind of like Drupal 7. Yeah. And... A fork, uh, right? It's, it's so, a fork. It's a it's a friendly fork. It's not a fork like the open source community is angry with them. Like they're providing right. it. Yeah. It was uh, forked from Drupal while Drupal 8 was under very rat, like intense but prolonged uh, development. And so it's kind of a snapshot of Drupal 7. It's got like the best things of Drupal 7 in it, but it's got the features of Drupal 8. Uh, but the code underlying it is different. And so if a, if it was too expensive to migrate from Drupal 6 to, to Drupal again, right, to like Drupal 9 is would be where you would migrate now, uh, and that's too expensive, somebody might want to migrate to, quote, Drupal 7, except the Drupal 7 that they migrate to is really backdrop. That's interesting. So I, I, I Googled something real quick. And so there was actually a Lullabot podcast. Um, Drupal 7, Are You Ready? Episode 90. Um, nice. <laughs> mentioning that in an article, even more interesting, there was an upgrading from Drupal 5 to Drupal 6 um, that came out over 10 years ago. That's a really great article that's written by Mr. David Burns. Ooh, there you <laughs> I have lullabot.com articles. <laughs> I need to start <laughs> writing some more of those. <laughs> um, but while we're talking about the upgrades, uh, recently we have started focusing on the Drupal 8 to Drupal 9 upgrades within support. That's one thing that we do because the, the upgrade process is so much easier than it has been in the past. And uh, one of the things we do is drop in like the Drupal Rector module and the update status module, upgrade status module. And we run an audit report to give us like an overview of the level of effort. And it, it, it's basically upgrade your modules to versions that support D9. That's fairly obvious. Drupal Rector will scan your custom code and be like, this is deprecated. Go ahead and replace this with this. And it even ships with a command you could run that's like, we'll try to fix as much as, that, as we can automatically. And I found it, it works for about 80%, if not more, of the code that needs to be changed. Getting to D9's a much, much enjoyable, more enjoyable experience than going from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8. Yeah. And for some sites, it it might be a maintenance task. And for mm -hmm. other sites, it might be, oh, wait, we need a dedicated person for this. You know, this is a, this is a little bit more customized and needs some more attention, in which case, you know, we would talk to the customer about that and maybe hand the project you know, through our sales team back to client services. Even right now with a project like GovHub, which is by far the biggest Drupal site I, I've worked on in terms of the amount of code and sites that it's running. Um, if if the, the client, the SOW has enough months and the client's willing to um, work with the support team in a long enough time frame. Um, that we could do like sprint models where we do like five modules here, five, until we get everything done. Um, mm, yeah. It's still land in support. It's just like how quickly does the client need to be on Drupal 9? Uh, and if it exceeds our quote unquote um, support bucket, um, we would send that back over to client services. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's a good point. What does your typical contract look like? 
So it breaks down into three tiers. Um, we, we have the entry level, which is like 30 hours a month. And that really focuses on, you know, the, the initial security audits and recommendations, performance audit, um, module and security updates, integrating to Pendabot, um, and then just critical bug fix. It's like, this is affecting the user experience. And we find that 30 hours a month, 30 to 50 is a good place for those type of projects. Uh, and then the next tier would basically be like a consultation and mentorship. Um, includes everything that was mentioned in the first tier. And then on top of that, we do like implementation and architectural guidance. So they'll reach out to us and be like, we're looking at three these three modules. Which one would you recommend if we're trying to do X, Y, Z? And, and we'll give the pros and cons of each. Um, we'll also be able to do like pull request reviews, a uh, little bit of project management and road mapping. Um, and that's that's for clients that are like 50 to like maybe 80, 90 hours a month. And our third tier is basically dev augmentation. A lot of the clients we work for have, have small departments, like one or two people. And um, they are hiring us just to do like continued development to help augment their existing team. It includes mm-hmm. everything from the, the first two tiers that I mentioned, um, but also includes, you know, maybe one developer part-time or two to three developers part-time, uh, depending on how many hours are available. Um, we'll also do like the, the automated, we'll set up more robust automated tools. We'll probably do some Cypress IO testing um, or night Nightwatch. Is that what it's called? Nightwatch JS? That's in core. Sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So th- those are the three tiers and um, our, our rates are, are similar to the hourly rates that um, any Lullabot project would have. Um, just because the type of work we're doing is support, we still, you know, operate at the, the same cost for Lullabot. Yeah. Yeah. I like it when our contracts are long and retainer based and can have multiple are big enough to have multiple people on it like those are my favorite ones <laughs> those but. are the ones that allow us to like <laughs> really get to know the platform really get to know the the client and their team and then really talk to them about what their experience is with the site that we've built or the site that we're maintaining for them and those feel much more like partnerships where yeah. we're bouncing ideas off each other, trying to reach a common goal where the other ones, um, while they're great, are just like, we've got the feature set or this site's not going to change much. We just want to make sure there's no like security flaws that people are going to like take our site down. Yeah. It's, it, 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 they're different, but they're also like, what I, it's like whatever the customer needs at that point. Right. Like when they need, or, and want, you know, that collaboration and investment and like, you know, exchange of learning and improvement of their infrastructure. Like, yeah, we're going to be excited about that. But when they don't need it and what they really need is just like, you know, just bare minimum, like maybe because of the project lifespan or maybe because of a budget fluctuations, like we're going to just help them do whatever they need to do with whatever they got and as a team and it changes too like we like we might have customers that you know will keep renewing their sows with us but their needs change over time 
And so maybe they, you know, become a smaller contract or maybe they've got a big initiative coming up. And so they're, you know, they're growing the contract and we can like adjust with that. That changes too. As a support team, you're growing too, right? We are. We um, are doing interviews right now to bring on a front end developer. Um, we, We have a very strong support team right now, but nobody that like, has ownership of that front end expertise. We're, we're a lot of like full stack. We're really, really strong site builders, really strong backend developers, and we can hobble our way through a lot of these, these front end requests. We, we get it done. We, we run tests to make sure everything's passing accessibility and, and, and delivering what the client needs, but we don't have somebody that we could just say like, this client's asking us about accessibility. This person, this client wants to refactor the whole menu system on their site. Go do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this this new position we're hiring for, um, we're hoping to have that person onboarded maybe by April. Very exciting. nice. It is yeah. exciting. Yeah. What makes a support developer special? Are they just gluttons for punishment? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think it's like kind of like what we've been talking about a little bit of is it is attitude right like compassion and empathy and understanding that decisions were made in the past like we're not building things from scratch right we're not making you know new decisions and like we can consult you know and we can give advice if that's like you know what it, what's needed but that's not the usual thing and so i think you kind of have to be okay with that. You have to be like, I can't redesign this. I can't make this exactly follow my, you know, vision I have in my head. I'm, I'm working within the constraints of the system that it is. And it's, it makes it easier, you know, I don't know, like mentally when you, when you, when you approach that from a place of like, wow, they're in a tough spot. You know, they must've been in a tough spot before. Like it makes it, it makes it kind of easier to deal with that. I would say there's also a, a really strong um, communication. And because oh. of the context switching, knowing what project somebody's talking about and being very clear as to the type of thing that you're working on, because, um, you know, just saying the name of a project may not be enough to, to have the person you're talking to fully understand and grasp um, because they've been working on this other site for a bit. Um, documenting um things a bit bit more and yeah what what kathy said around like the compassion clients are coming to us when something's broken um and you know it sometimes feel like putting out fires all the time um but to understand that like we're here to help them and we don't want to add any complexities to what they're already experiencing Mm -hmm. um so to to take that give solid estimates of how soon we could expect this thing to be fixed and, and always keeping the the client up to date. If, if our estimate is changing, um, I think client services does a good job of this, but they, they get to work in larger teams with longer timelines um, with, with bigger number of hours in a month. So um, being very cautious and aware of how we use the time and communicating that back to the clients, like, a skill set that our sport team does very well. Yeah. And I think being patient too, because like we do see a lot of opportunities for improvements, but um, 
you know, because we don't want to add any stress onto our customers, we have to like be able to like make a note of that and come back to it later when the, you know, when the time is, is right for that. So you need, you want to be looking for improvements, but also be very patient in terms of like waiting for the right time for them. Cause we don't want to ignore those opportunities either. Very good. David, anything else you'd like to add? I'm sure there will be a link to the support maintenance page on lullabot.com that has uh, maybe more info. What's that? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, and that'll give a breakdown of like some of the services we do and how to contact us if you need help. Um, I should probably mention how our SOWs are structured. We, we like to work with a client for at least a quarter. Um, and then as we build trust and that relationship, um, we'll consider like expanding an SOW um, to like six months or even a year um, if they know they're just going to be sticking with this version of Drupal. So it sounds like you, you wouldn't generally want to be like, hey, I want you to fix my photo gallery this week. Yeah, this yeah. isn't like a jump in, jump out because there's so much overhead um, with, you know, setting up the Lando, getting familiar with the code base. That if they're like, hey, we've got yeah. 30 hours, this this whole engagement that... 15 hours of that is going to just be involved in conversations, gathering requirements. We, we really need, um, you know, three months to, to build um, our understanding and that relationship. I've, you probably feel like you, you're more useful to them at that point too. So, you know, yeah. being able to commit some time and not just fix the Drupal. Kathy, anything more you'd like to add as you point towards wrapping this up here? No, I think support is great. Uh, I just like we get to we get to see so much variety of things and 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 we really I don't know like I feel like we really help we really help our customers uh, and so it's 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 interesting and rewarding. So Mike, yes, Matt, go support. Yeah, go support. And this this quite frankly, this may have come off as kind of an infomercial, but. I think there's a lot that could be like gleaned by somebody who is kind of a, a one person shop, say to nonprofit. Oh, wait, there's or more maintaining a website, right? <laughs> one more thing, yeah, for the low low price of. <laughs> but you know, I, I think somebody who's no, I get it, yeah. you know running their own website might be able to to glean a few things and think, you know, maybe if I change my processes, this this becomes a little easier and, and automated testing or visual diffs or, you know, a lot those tools could be very useful to them and keeping absolutely. things going. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, absolutely. They're useful for everybody, not just uh, folks in the uh, support and maintenance department, but like Drupal as a whole. Three easy payments. 877 Lullaby. <laughs> Call 877 Lullaby. That's our real, right. real phone number, by the way. Yeah. yeah no surprise. <laughs> it's funny. I have to always go to like the website to actually see what the numbers are when somebody's like, hold on, what number should I use? Because I always go about it and just type in the word Lullaby and have them figure it out on their own. <laughs> well, thank you both. Thanks for having us, y'all. See ya. Right, thanks. thanks. Bye.